Coming up next is this month's special series, Focus on Men's Health, on ReachMD XM157. What is an inline vasectomy, and is it better surgery than a traditional vasectomy? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today from our nation's capital, Dr. Paul Shind, an assistant professor of urology at George Washington University Hospital and also in private practice with Urologic Surgeons of Washington. Dr. Shin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm going to plead ignorance. I've never heard of an inline vasectomy, so walk me through it. An inline vasectomy is just a different way to skin the proverbial cat, or, or chicken as the case may be. <laughs> it's just a different take on how to do it with a little less dissection, a little less permanent suture material, and, and we think the same efficacy with regard to the, the permanence of the birth control. Basically, when you do a vasectomy, you're removing a piece of the plumbing. You're taking out a piece of the vase down in the scrotum about a centimeter long, and and there's a hundred different ways to do it. Some guys use titanium clips to occlude the tube. Some guys tie it off with permanent suture. Well, what an inline vasectomy is, is you're actually not really removing that much of the vas at all. What you're doing is you're kind of, in a longitudinal manner, opening the vas deferens down to the lumen, mm-hmm. and then you're aggressively cauterizing the lumen with heat. And then you're basically taking the two ends and burying them in two different places. So you're doing sort of a fascial separation. So the idea is is that uh, you're not leaving anything permanent in there. You're doing less dissection. And so there's no nidus for any scar formation uh, to occur. And the, the hope is is that, you know, one of the things that a lot of guys have problems with digesting after a vasectomy is the pain, you know. And, and what you're hoping to do is cut down on the inflammation and decrease their, their overall pain level. Yeah, there's really not that much pain. It's a, hey, man, I just had mine done two months ago, and it was cool. You did it by yourself in a mirror. <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> Is this gaining ground? Is this the coolest new vasectomy in town, the inline? I think it is, but I think what you'll find is that your urologist who's going to do your vasectomy is going to do it in the manner that they've he done was trained, right. 100 others. And so it's just kind of a different take on it. It makes sense to me. And the reason it makes sense to me is that I, I actually see a lot of guys who have post-vasectomy pain syndrome. Mm-hmm because I do a lot of vasectomy reversals as well, which is one of the treatment options for that. And, and you know, I kind of got thinking, well, you know, how do you sort of avoid this? And the common theme seems to be that guys who tend to have more permanent stuff in there, especially clips, that have a real issue with, you know, with prolonged pain. And again, I mean, the, the incidence of that happening is pretty rare, but, you know, I see a bit of a skewed population just because of what I do. Help me understand, how many sperm does a testicle make in a day? Tens of millions. You want a statistic that'll blow your mind? Please. All the sperm that you're going to ejaculate for the next 72 days, or maybe in your case you won't ejaculate, I don't know, has already been made. It's all sitting down there cooking, waiting to be done. All right, so that leads to the question. You cut off the exit valve. What happens? You know, pressure, pain. How does your body just kind of digest those millions of sperm? There's a critical structure outside your testicle called the epididymis, which... uh, actually expands a little bit. It kind of takes on the role of breaking down the, the dead sperm as it happens. And so you do get a little bit of a pressure buildup, and that's, in theory, why we, we think people get post-vasectomy pain syndrome. And what about with ejaculation? Shouldn't there be some pain then also? Occasionally, yeah. And, and that's what you'll hear from these guys, is that, is that with ejaculation and orgasm, that that's, that's when it gets really bad. Why is yours any different than the others? You're not really occluding the vas. What you're doing is you're allowing for a little bit of a pop-off mechanism because you're not putting anything permanent to tie it off. Does that make sense? A little bit, but it seems like you're still cutting off uh, flow. You're still stopping, you're stopping the plumbing. What will happen is at the end, the, the cut end of the, of the vas that's closest to the testicle, it'll, you'll develop a little nubbin of scar tissue called a granuloma, mm-hmm. and that'll be enough space to allow kind of decompression 
to occur. And so the idea there is that less pressure, less pain. That does an inline cost more than... No, you can't bill any differently for it. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of guys who, who almost do nothing but who you're going to have to pay cash to go see, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's not a separate code or billing cycle for it. It's just, it is what it is. It's just a vasectomy. It's just a different way to do it. And recovery time, same as the others? Exactly the same. Risks yeah. the same? Totally. Uh, what's your success rate? Well, that's an interesting question because our follow-up rates with people after a vasectomy... Yeah, they never go and get that follow-up sperm count. miserable, right. you know? Like 10, 15% of guys who have vasectomies done, even in a type A <laughs> anal retentive town like Washington, D.C., only about 15% of guys ever come back to get checked. Never had one recur. How does things recannulize? Um, I mean, because that's what you're looking for. How does, how does your body find a new route around the block in the road? Confirming, like, every woman's worst nightmare, the vas kind of has this mind of its own. You know, it has, <laughs> there must be some, you know, chemical trail where it can follow to where, and it's sure. bizarre, you know, um, but it does happen. Life wants to be get life. Right, exactly. I think the whole issue of recanalization is one that's, that's understated because, you know, the bottom line is that if you get a recanalization, you get a few swimming sperm, in all likelihood you're not going to get anybody pregnant. So you'll never show up in a doctor's office again. And again, we have such poor follow-up that we really don't know. But the quoted rate is about one in three to 4,000 vasectomies recanalized. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today, Dr. Paul Shin, Assistant Professor of Urology at George Washington University. We're talking about inline vasectomies, and now we're going to talk about reversing vasectomies. All right, Paul, let's say I um, get divorced. I find a new young beautiful woman who wants to have children and I want to get my vasectomy reversed, am I going to be successful? You are. If I see you. Absolutely. Depends on how long you've had your vasectomy in place. There's not a point after which, uh, there's no point of no return. But on average, uh, we think of things in terms of five-year cycles. So guys who are five years and less stand well above a 90% chance of getting some sperm back in the semen to an appreciable level. How How do you do it? I mean, it seems like microsurgery. You do. You uh, dissect out the scarred ends of the vas, and uh, with the help of an operating microscope, you, you put them back together using suture that's uh, 9 or 10 which is pretty wow. small. Hmm. And how long does that take? About three to four hours, depending on what you've got to do. And uh, what does that cost? Uh, it depends on what you want to charge, because unfortunately, so insurance, my friend... Insurance, well, I don't think insurance should pay for that. Right. They shouldn't, because, uh, you know, not that your insurance company has your best interest at heart, but, you know, kids are expensive, and right. they don't want to add any to the plan. Right. I mean, our car insurance does not pay for changing the tires or detailing the car, nor should our health insurance cover these things. I'm in full agreement. But on average, I would say that if you're in a city, it's probably seven to 10000 bucks. If if you're in a place where the cost of living isn't as high, it's probably in the neighborhood of four to five. And is there money-back guarantee? Some guys offer a money-back guarantee, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I have a guy come to see me and he's thinking about getting a vasectomy, I usually, and he's young, and he may not think that his life might change, which does happen. You know, people die, people get divorced. I always tell him to bank some sperm before he does it. What do you, what do you think of that? I usually tell him not to. Okay. Please go on. Because, number one, for most guys, it is a permanent decision, and they never change their mind, because it's only about 2 to 3% of men who opt to get a vas reversal to begin with. And, and then secondly, even if the unthinkable could happen, you could be at a zoo and a tiger could tear your testicles off. You know, by and large, your sperm production is going to stay about the same. So you can always go get it when you need it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I wasn't aware that it was that successful. You know, the oldest guy I've ever done was probably 35 years out of his vasectomy. Wow. He was a 76-year-old guy from the Middle East who flew over who had a 26-year-old wife. Mm, good one. 
Yeah. What do you tell guys that are going to go through chemo or radiation? Will you have them bank some I sperm? I tell them to always, always, always bank your sperm. Okay. Which is one of the toughest things because they got so much other stuff going on emotionally at the time. But, you know, I can't tell you the number of patients I've seen who didn't do that. You know, and 25 to 30% of the time after a, a, a whole body hit like that, you never recover your ability to make sperm. So that's huge. And that's the one time where I'm very adamant that somebody bank. Tell me a little bit about sperm harvest. Is that a special time of the year? <laughs> it's that special time of the month, brother. <laughs> uh, with sperm harvest, w- w- what you do is, is basically if a woman wants to do an in vitro fertilization cycle instead for having her husband do a reversal, mm-hmm. you simply just got to go get it, usually either with a biopsy or a yeah. needle stick yeah. or some other uh, sharp instrument to the nads. But, uh, and you can get enough sperm. You can get plenty enough sperm to do an in vitro cycle. And that's why it's important when you're counseling couples to say, look, you know, these are both of your options and, and they're equally viable. They both work pretty well. It's just that one, you know, uh, is a little more natural, a little less expensive, may take a little longer, and that's kind of the catch, and that's the vasoversal, whereas... With in vitro, you know, depending on the age of the woman, it's a pretty successful technology. It works for most people, and it's a little more immediate. It's more efficient. You know, it's essentially like pregnancy by BlackBerry or by Datebook. You know, you decide. Good one. Any other ways to get sperm? Mm, donor. That's about it. Donor. Yeah. Dr. Shin, let's say that I decide I want to reverse my vasectomy, and I go on the Internet, and I Google vasectomy reversal, and a website pops up in New York City saying that we are the best how do I know they're the best, and you know, how do I go about finding the right place? The thing that you want to remember is, is you want to be a smart consumer about this, and unfortunately, there are a lot of financial pressures at work here. And what you basically want to make sure of is, is that the person that you are seeing has an interest in doing microsurgery and has had some level of specialty training. Because the trick is, not everybody needs a straightforward vasoversal. There's a straightforward connection called a vasovasostomy, but there's a more complicated connection where you sometimes have to reroute it directly to the epididymis, mm-hmm. which is a lot more technical. And what you'll find is, is that guys who haven't been trained in that really only do one thing, and that's the simple connection, which doesn't always work. And when you're shopping around for a vasoversal specialist, you want to ask your doctors, you want to do your appropriate amount of research on the Internet, but you want to make sure that whoever you're seeing has, has had some specialization and some specialty training with regard to, to how to do this, and it's not just a money printing factory. Right. Well, it's hard when you call a urologist up, and it's hard, I think, for people to ask that question. How many of these have you done, and what are you going to do if you go in there and you find that this isn't your routine uh, vasectomy? Well, sure, and that those are tough questions to answer, but people oftentimes don't know to ask it. You know, and the, the other issue is I never get your referrals from other urologists because this is a cash-paying case. So they figure, well, hey... I'm going to put two and two together, and it'll probably work. And if it doesn't, well, then they can go do IVF. And that's not always the right thing for the couple either. What kind of lifestyle things that guys do affects their sperm quality? Is caffeine bad for sperm? Is, is smoking pot as bad as they say it is? What should we be telling our younger patients? As a matter of practicality, I basically tell my patients, look, if you live a healthy lifestyle and you're not spending an hour a week in a hot tub, mm-hmm. you're going to be fine. You know, good healthy living is compatible with good fertility, you know, I mean, drink alcohol in moderation is fine, you know, the occasional joint never really stopped anybody from getting pregnant, right? Right, may have contributed um, to more pregnancies. Exactly. And, and, you know, there's not a miracle multivitamin or pill that's out there, and, and if somebody's telling you that, they're, they're totally rooking you uh, with regard to anything in terms of an herbal supplement. So it's just smart, healthy living is really the most compatible thing you can do for your fertility. And don't wear plastic underwear. But Excellent. If you've got that on, there are other issues. 
Paul, before we go, anything else you'd like to say to our audience about vasectomies in general and where we could potentially steer our patients that are asking for a vasectomy? You know, make sure that you're going to somebody who has an interest in doing it. And, you know, it's honestly underutilized. You know, there are a lot of cultural taboos. There's a lot of socioeconomic stratification with vasectomy usage. But, you know, the fact of the matter is in terms of an easy method of permanent birth control can't be beat. Well, on that note, Dr. Paul Shin from George Washington University, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. If you'd like to comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit us at our website, ReachMD.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, we'll give you six months free of streaming ReachMD so you can listen to day and night on your home computer or your office computer. And thanks for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, presents a special series, Focus on Men's Health.